It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back for the first time in a long time uh, here. Matt Minnick joined by Michael Rogner uh, here for a summer edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated podcast. Although I say Hoops Dedicated, uh, we might be bringing another sport into this. We'll see, uh, you know, start to talk a little bit more about some of the some of the FSU alum that are hitting the links over over on the golf, but still Hoops Dedicated. And uh, it's been it's been a while, Michael. How you been? I'm doing good. I think the last time we we talked or the last time we had a podcast was was probably the tournaments, which is but you know, honestly, not that much has happened, you yeah. know, when it comes to Florida State basketball. There's been a lot of a lot of like watching nothing happen. That's exactly right. A whole lot of hurry up and wait. I feel like we uh we kind of kept saying, Oh, well, if this guy comes, if this guy comes, maybe we'll hop on the podcast and nobody ever came. And and maybe that's a good uh, that's a good first subject. We're, we'll we'll get into um we'll get into the kind of the misses of the off season and and maybe giving a grade to this off season. You know how successful was it, and, and uh, maybe a little bit just about the roster construction in general. Of course, we've got the NBA draft coming up uh, this this week now. I think it's July 29th. Maybe today's the 25th, so it's coming up on Thursday. And of course, Florida State is going to be represented in the NBA draft once again. So we'll talk a little bit about that. That might lead into some. 2022 recruiting conversation so stick around for that if you want to hear about some of the future Seminoles that we might be looking to add and then and then yes I, I do think it would be cool to get into a little bit of at least in the off season here a little bit of golf conversation in uh so if you are ready what, what do you say we we hit this we hit the off season here first so it's July 
it's, it's late July. Kids are going to be going back to college pretty soon. Classes are, you know, they're practicing already on campus and classes will be starting up fall classes about, you know, three, four weeks. Michael, what do you think just overall of, of the off season in terms of, uh, you know, positive, you know, success or, or maybe a failure uh, when, when it looks, when you're looking at the roster. If, well, if we include the, the recruiting class, then, you know, obviously the, 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 you know, quote unquote off season was a huge success. But if we're just talking about transfers, we had that really early one with Caleb Mills, who mm-hmm. is, you know, probably one of the better, you know, more, more, uh, more coveted players out there. Uh, and then we, then we landed Cameron Fletcher, who's more of a process, uh, more of a, you know, just a, uh, a physical specimen out of Kentucky. That's got a lot, a lot of work to do on his, on his basketball game. And then, you know, we had a lot of misses. It was Trey Mitchell and, and uh, uh, Kofi Coburn and, and, uh, you know, all the other, all the other bigs that we went after. Yeah, kick the tires again. It was just kind of whiff after whiff after whiff. And yeah. 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 You know, and this is, this is one of those things where, you know, when, when coach Hamilton retires, you know, he always talks about, the, the most the, the most rewarding part about coaching is having people call him on Father's Day or, or call him on his birthday. Um, and when he says that, you can tell that he really means it. You know, if Calipari or or or, or uh, Krzyzewski said something like that, we just kind of laugh at them because they're obviously sociopaths, you know. <laughs> and this, obviously. this miss after miss after miss is, is part of yeah i mean it's we don't really need to debate that uh the the you know the complete just whiffs on this is is you know a little bit i think can be credited to or the blame can go to ham for for you know focusing so much on intangibles and and other and other things you know maybe that's good maybe that's bad but i think he lacks a little bit of that like sociopathic need to get to the final four um, and I clearly had we landed someone like Trey Mitchell, this team would have been, you know, the one 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 of the boutique picks for making it to the final four. And now we're just kind of a fringe top 25 team. Yeah, fringe top 25. And and it's interesting because I, you know, we've talked a lot of times about how the NCAA tournament, you just, you know, look, you just try to get there and then. And if you're anywhere in the really even seated as a, as a top six or seven seed, I mean, you, you can get to the final four with a, with a good draw. You, you can, we see teams every year that they end up in the sweet 16, they're playing some 12 seed or they're in the elite eight playing a nine seed or something. Um, so, you know, you can get there. So from a ceiling standpoint, uh, sure. I could envision a scenario where Tenor and Gom in his second year with, with Stan Jones just really takes a leap forward and McLeod comes in and is better than expected. And, and uh, you know, Worley hits the ground running and, and Raekwon Evans really just comes into his own. And, you know, I can, I can envision some of the, you know, polites this defensive stopper and, and we, we get a good draw and, and win a bunch of games in March and everyone feels great, but it, it feels like with the whiffs and, and they were whiffs, let's not sugarcoat that we went after some guys and we missed them. Uh, for for a var- variety of reasons, it feels like that you know this is maybe the lowest floor for a, a, a Seminole basketball team that we've really seen, you know, maybe since before Jonathan Isaac was here. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and I, you know, the flip side of that is the ceiling is 
is is still plenty high. Uh, you know, you, you you mentioned some things that could that could go well that would really elevate that ceiling. So I don't I, I don't think that the ceiling has changed that much from you know recent teams. Um, and you know, obviously down from the team from a couple of years ago, but but the floor for sure. You know, it it feels like you know this is going to be kind of a thin team. You know, there's there's really only about eight guys who are gonna. Uh, be worthy of of getting a bunch of minutes um, unless somebody really surprises us and you know when when you're when you're dealing with that you, you know kind of lack of depth um, you know a few things go wrong and and you know suddenly that that floor is you know comes coming screaming up at you pretty hard and and you mentioned eight guys I, I think obviously Malik Osborne and Anthony Polite are going to be two guys who are heavily re- relied upon by this team and, and if either one of them suffers you know a five six game injury that that could be disastrous uh, and if both of them did geez uh, but you know so set those aside and knock on wood for their health uh, who who are maybe the other six guys six maybe seven that I mean that will really be relying on are we talking about I feel like Wyatt has his kind of niche role for sure he's gonna um, come in and 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 play his part, which is be in the right position on defense, make some hustle plays, uh, shoot the ball. Well, particularly at home, you know, probably have a game or two where he makes five or six threes. Uh, and so what about the other, what are we talking about? The other five, is it, is it, uh, you know, you mentioned mills, is it the freshman? What do we expect from, from a tenor? Like, are those the guys? Yeah. I would think that that mills and polite are kind of, kind of battle each other for the, who plays the most minutes for the, for the year, you know, both of those guys are going to be on the, on the, on the floor a ton. Um, there's going to be a battle between McLeod and Ingum on, on, you know, who's, who's really taking control of that, that center position. You know, I, we know, you know, you, you describe Wilkes game pretty good and Evans and Osborne, you know, those guys are all known quantities. And then the freshmen Cleveland and Worley are certainly going to play, but you know, how much is, is, the wild cards are sort of how, you know, how much is John Butler going to play? How much is Cameron Fletcher going to play? If, if we get some serious contribution out of, out of guys like that, then, then, you know, everybody should be dancing in the streets and, you know, because they're, they're here to develop. I think that, that Worley and Cleveland are pretty much, you know, ready to go. Unfortunately, Cleveland, you know, broke his toe and in one of the early workouts. So he's hampered a little bit now, but, but uh, yeah, he he and Worley will will be the two freshmen who are you know really ready to go. Yeah, I agree. Well, Cleveland, I think for Worley, I expect to make a, a a good contribution. I don't know if if from game one, it's just hard coming in, and I mean we see it every year in college basketball where point guards just take a little while to kind of get their their rhythm and, and adjust to the speed and the physicality of college basketball. Cleveland's body his he's already physical and, and sort of his game seems tailor-made for a nice pace and space uh, system. So I, I expect him assuming he's healthy to come in and, you know, make, make some impressive contributions and some highlight plays off the top. Fletcher seems like maybe a guy that could be kind of a, a fulcrum here. Like if, if Fletcher gives us something that is beyond expectations, maybe, Maybe he is that thing that pushes, you know, that raises Florida State's floor. Um, you know, it's interesting if he was just a, a freshman coming in. If if you, if all you knew about him was that he was a four star, uh, let's say, you know, somewhere ranked between fifty and seventy five, and that he had been coveted by 
you know, the, the, the standard suite of teams of, of Tennessee and Florida state and Louisville and, uh, you know, Texas would, would your opinion be different of him or, you know, is it almost hurting us that we kind of have seen him play a year at Kentucky or, I mean, is he a guy that with, once he gets into the system, just his athleticism, he can come in and get offensive rebounds, run the court, get lobs and, and play defense. Yeah. He was expected, you know, to play more at Kentucky. And I, th- I think he started, you know, their first two games or maybe, maybe one of those first two games, um, you know, so, so it's clearly more was expected of him at Kentucky. I'm not sure exactly what happened off the court. Um, you know, which, which dictated some of it. And then, you know, clearly he just wasn't ready, but he's, he's, he's a, you know, athletic freak and, and can certainly contribute if, if he, if he comes in and, and, and learns the defense and, and, you know, learns how to run different motion, um, you know, sets that, that Ham likes to run. He can, he, he can certainly play some, but he's not going to be this guy that comes in and, and just, you know, is suddenly averaging 10 or 11 points a game. It's just, he's just not that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think that I would agree with that. I mean, I, you know, it's I think the honestly the non-conference season is going to be really big for him. And something that guys guys like Scotty Barnes uh, didn't get last year was that chance to really hone in the sit, like get some confidence. Not that Scotty needed any confidence, but get get used to the system in the non-conference in some games that frankly Florida State should win by twenty and uh and sort of see what you've got before the conference season really starts so i, I think that it's going to be really key for someone like cameron fletcher and even caleb mills to be healthy in september and october get in get get some 15 20 minutes in during those games against north florida or wh- whomever we play early on um here, here's a question for you forget scotty barnes because there's no there's just no way that he would have come back for a second year. But of all the other players that we lost um, at, in the off season, uh, so that would include the three guys who made themselves eligible to turn pro, which is Raekwon Gray, Bolsa Kovrovica, MJ Walker. Uh, that would include Sadar Calhoun. Uh, and, and we'll even put uh, Nate Jack into this conversation just because, you know, he was a player and we lost him. If you could have picked one guy to stay, just you get one. And, and thinking about now that we did whiff on some of those players uh, transfers and who we have currently and constructed in our roster, which of those guys uh, would you have brought in or kept? I should say. Yeah, I'd take gray. No question. He's, you know, I would have kept gray. Absolutely. He was, he was the best player on the floor for the last probably half of the season. Um, he, you know, he would, he would have been primed for a, a huge senior year. I think if Gray's off the table and I, I can't take him, um, then, you know, it's, it's probably gotta be Balsha. He's, he's, you know, he's, he was starting, he, he's kind of starting to show the ability to, to dominate games. Um, you know, he'd flash every, every now and again, but, uh, um, you know, he was certainly better than, than the, you know, the position that we have now. And, you know, someone like MJ Walker, he was a hell of a player, but we've got a lot of guys who can, who can fill that role, you know, in the gray and Balsha conversation, we just don't, we don't have guys that that can, that can fill that role of what they were doing. Um, and then we, we also lost Sadara Calhoun. Can't forget that, you know, he, uh, over at Texas tech now, not that I'm picking him, just pointing it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he, he... He's, and to your point, though, I think it's what I hear you saying is the value above replacement. And I think that, you know, we have a guy that can do a lot of what 
uh, Sadar Calhoun brought to the table. You know, Cleveland can probably do some of that. Caleb Mills, a shorter version. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe even Cameron Fletcher can be some of that athletic uh, kind of go and get the ball above the rim guy that that Calhoun flashed at times. Uh, so it was good to see him land at Texas Tech over there with uh, was it Corey Williams, I believe, uh, former former assistant yep. at mm-hmm. Florida State. Uh, so hopefully he can you know see a little bit more success in their system. I agree with you that the answer has to be gray uh, given just every, like you said, for most of the back half of the year, he was the best player on the team. And, uh, and I think that he really would have brought something, you know, different and unique to to our roster this year. And, and of course, Balsa agree with the, with his value above who we have left being higher than what MJ's uh, value is above what we have left shooting guard. Which, which kind of brings me – we'll talk about Gray in just a second and all those guys for the pros, but when you look at roster construction, it, that's a good point, right? Like, we're not too upset about losing MJ. First of all, he was here four years, did a great job, always will – I mean, he was part of some fantastic ball games and some sex, super successful teams, you know, so salute to MJ for all that he did for Florida State basketball – and and we still have a lot of big guards to fill his spots, right? We it feels like we've kind of really entrenched ourselves into this big guard you uh, personality and mantra. It it feels though the rest of the roster is kind of like I don't know we're missing that six eight kind of ball handler that maybe a Scotty or a Gray or a Patrick Williams was. We don't have that like just dominating rim protecting presence maybe that we had with like a Kamaji or or even a Bernard James, it just feels like I'm not sure where we're going with the rest of the roster. Yeah. I think, I think that that second position you mentioned, you know, the six, eight guy who can, who can handle the ball and do a lot of, you know, that's, that's kind of a, it's becoming more common, but it's still a little bit of a unicorn position. Like we happen to have gray and Barnes on the team at the same time, but that that's not, that's just not going to happen all that often. Um, you know, we, we tried to turn, Kofer into more of a ball handler and he just wasn't you know we've tried to turn Malik into more of a ball handler and he's not it's just a really tough position to fill but but you know with areas if you were to break recruiting down into like point guards wings and bigs you know we've done really good on wings like we are are attracting every top 50 wing in the nation is, is coming and looking at Florida state, but we're still not landing, you know, that elite point guard or, or those elite big men. And, you know, if, 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 you know, we were able to put a, put a recruiting class together where we got all three of those things, you know, then, uh, you know, then we're talking about, a you know, maybe the best team in Florida state history. Cause you know, even our best teams were, we're trying to cover up some, you know, some pretty glaring holes and the coaching staff has done a, a really wonderful job doing that. But the, you know, this team's going to be no different. Yeah, it, it is. You are right about, you know, I mean, Worley is a pretty good point guard lane of course, probably the best that we've had under Hamilton. Although even he is still not um, in that kind of top, top three or four echelon point guard. We'll talk later uh, in this podcast that could change this year with one particular guy out there who, who is high on Florida state, but you're right in that we've kind of really been the wings is, is what we're both putting into the NBA and maybe it becomes a self uh, self-fulfilling cycle. Like, you know, that they see us putting guys into the NBA. So then better guys want to come here, which they're naturally going to be better fit for the NBA. So it kind of keeps uh, keeps the cycle going. I don't even know what to make of the big men at this point. It just seems like that, you know, I, I don't know if, if, 
if it's something with the way we're pitching the system or if it's just something in the types of uh, attributes that we look for for a big man to be able to both uh, be laterally quick out on the perimeter, but, you know, and also uh, get back and protect the rim. And, and maybe those guys are just difficult to find. And when they do exist, they go to Gonzaga uh, or, or Duke, but I, I don't know. I don't even know. It, it seems like now at this point, we're just, you know, bringing in guys like Ballard and hoping they, hoping they develop. Yeah. If Ham can find like a really athletic eight footer who started playing basketball about 15 minutes before the end of his senior year in high school, then that's the guy that we're recruiting. You know, we're just, we're just not landing the, you know, the sort of elite guys, like you said, are going to, to Gonzaga and other places. Yeah. And Efton Reed felt like that was, it was interesting when you, when we even, I wrote an article about him and Efton Reed, you know, isn't your typical Hamilton big recruit. He, he's not uber athletic. He doesn't have an above the rim game. He, he is a skilled rebounder and, and uh, skilled kind of back to the basket guy. And, you know, I, I don't know. It did look like for a, for a bit there that we might actually land him. And it was interesting to me that, you know, that was going to be such a unique pivot away from what we typically have had on the roster. Uh, ultimately, you know, he postponed his decision. You know, of course we can talk about all kinds of different uh, factors that play into that with parents and, and strong ass offers from other coaches, but um, you know, it, it, he didn't come. And so the bottom line is, is we're, we're left with, you know, hoping that a guy like McLeod or, or Tenor can take that next step. Uh, why don't we, speaking of next step, I think we're going to, we'll come back and talk about the guys who are taking the next step to, uh, in their career to the NBA. But first uh, we'll take a quick break. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right. Uh, so we, we just kind of talked about the off season and, and the off the, the series of losses and additions and recruitments and transfers and everything that was for Florida state. Uh, and, and part of that off season was a handful of guys who, who decided to make themselves eligible to start being paid, not just for their name, image, and likeness, but for their actual contracted skills, contractual like, skills on the basketball court. Uh, and they are going to play professional. So uh, yeah, we've got the NBA draft coming up on on Thursday, the 29th. And uh, Michael, do we want to flip this around and, and maybe you be the moderator and ask me some questions? Sure. Yeah, that's a nice way of saying I don't know anything about the draft. So I'll, I'll, I'll be the person who asks the questions. <laughs> Does that mean I don't know anything about all the other stuff that I ask about? <laughs> no, you're, you're just a natural. You got, you, you're, bringing, you're bringing all kinds of skills to the court here. Um, I do know that Florida State's going to have the highest uh, chosen ACC player for the second year in a row. I think we might have even had the top two last year. Um, but yeah, let's start with Scotty Barnes. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of talk about Scotty going fifth to the Orlando Magic. Is, is that going to happen? Where, where, where would you put your money on him right now? I think, I think him going fifth to the Orlando Magic would be as good a bet as any. If, you know, in January, it felt very much like this was a five player 
this draft, first of all, is loaded and, and got, and teams have known this for a long time. Uh, teams like the Oklahoma city thunder, um, and, and a variety of others have been, but particularly the thunder and Houston rockets, they've been acquiring picks in this draft, hoping to get, uh, multiple, multiple chances at a draft that is, you know, probably three or four guys in this draft would have gone number one in last year's draft, uh, despite how good um, several of the prospects, you know, LaMelo Ball and whatnot were in last year's draft, three or four guys probably would have gone number one last year. So it is a loaded draft. And for a long time, it felt like there was an entrenched five and, and Scotty Barnes was not among those five. Uh, you've got um, Cade Cunningham, who Scotty backed up <laughs> in high school. Uh, and, and then you've got Jalen Green, who didn't play in college. Jalen Suggs hit their memorable shot for Gonzaga in the Final Four. Evan Mobley at USC. And Jonathan Kaminga, who is one of these like 6'8", big wings, ball handler guy that we were talking about, so unique. But he's also pretty raw uh, and still has a ways to go in his skill development. And, and as Scotty, really, as Scotty, uh, two things happened. Scotty continued to showcase at least a little bit better free throw shooting. And, and the NBA really value, you know, free throw shooting is perhaps the biggest indicator of can someone um, eventually become a better three point shooter? Not necessarily Steph Curry, uh, but can they improve their three point stroke? Oftentimes they look to the free throw line. And, and he did over the second half of the year demonstrate better technique, better mechanics. And it was clear that Stan Jones was, you know, turning Scotty into a better free throw shooter. Uh, and so I think that helped him. And then really Jonathan Kaminga ended up uh, getting injured in the G league year. He didn't finish out with the playoff with, with his team that made the playoffs and he's kind of dropped back a little bit. And, and when they had the combine process, Scotty just measured out so well, you know, you see some of these guys on TV and, they really didn't get a chance to scout a lot of players in person this year. And you're not quite sure what their measurements are, but you get all of them together in one room and you can really see that, I mean, his arms just go on for days and he's, he's thick, he's physical. Uh, he, he does have those playmaking skills. He's got a fiery personality. He's not Andrew Wiggins. He's not going to just be content to just let other people kind of do the heavy lifting for him. So I think that, that process really helped him. It doesn't hurt that Florida state basketball players have, have been generated. You know, they are now becoming a known quantity to the NBA scout. They know they're going to come in prepared to play uh, switching defense, prepared to uh, have a high basketball IQ, make, make contributions all over the court. Uh, we've seen early success with guys like Patrick Williams and, and Terrence Mann. So even Trent Forrest had some run with the jazz last year. So all that is a long way of saying that, Scotty Barnes has definitely elevated himself into the conversation uh, to be maybe instead of the five to 10 range or five to 12 range, more like the four to eight range. Uh, and in that four to eight range, it would seem that the magic are as good a fit as anyone for him. I think the Golden State Warriors at seven would really love to get Scotty Barnes and kind of turn him into a Draymond 2.0. I don't know that Scotty is going to fall all the way to at seven at this point. So what you could see is someone trade up above the magic and grab him at four. If Toronto is uh, not satisfied with who falls to them at four. So we've, so we've got Scott Scotty going fourth or fifth. Um, if he, if he falls below that, make sure you, you send your tweets to Matt, even though he's not on Twitter. How about if he um, falls below seventh, you can send your tweets uh, to Matt. <laughs> right. uh, so speaking of guys who are going to fall below seventh, what about, you know, we've, we've seen some success with guys like Terrence Mann, um, you know, Dre, that 
that either are undrafted or drafted lower in the draft. We, we had some guys last year, uh, Balsha comes to mind, um, and uh, Raekwon Gray, MJ Walker. Like the, those guys are all, you know, so some have been working out, you know, so some haven't, but, but is there any realistic shot that any of those guys get drafted um, or, you know, end up signing some kind of post-draft deal? I think all of them will end up signing some type of post-draft deal. I don't know that uh, all of them will sign a post-draft deal with an NBA or NBA G League team, uh, only because Bolsha is, you know, from Europe and, and he just may want, if he doesn't get drafted, he just may want to go home and play in Europe and be around his family for the first you know time in a few years. So he may just choose to do that. I, I would imagine that MJ Walker is not drafted. I, it would, it would be pretty surprising to I mean we're not quite talking like Ryan Reed level surprise when his name was called uh, shockingly in the, in the last few picks of the draft, but it would be pretty surprising if MJ Walker was drafted. If, if a guy, it, there's just too many six, four guys who can shoot the three and, and defend fairly well. Now I do think that, you know, he's been working out for teams. I think they see him as a guy that can, you know, Hey, let's give him a shot on, on the G league and there's two way contracts. And, you know, maybe he, uh, gets his way onto some 10 day contracts somewhere and, and uh, proves himself every year. We see guys uh, like Malcolm Brogdon, who was a second round pick and, uh, and, and quite, quite a Fred Van, uh, Van Fleet from, for the Raptors, he's really blossomed. And so there are certainly guys that just, you know, not worth spending a, a draft pick on, but they can, they can come in and, and prove themselves. Uh, and then you've got gray who I think, you know, probably before the combine i would have said he should be a top 45 pick the combine actually wasn't great for him he i don't know what teams expected he came in at what 17 percent body fat i mean that's who he is he's a big guy with a big backside and uh you know he's never gonna be thin uh but what he is 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 quick both laterally and with his hands and and very high defensive iq and and is an underrated playmaker in my opinion so I think at this point, Gray is probably 50-50 to be drafted. Uh, the combine was not excellent for him. Uh, but I do think that he will eventually hear his name called somewhere maybe in the 50s. And, and if he doesn't, it might be because he has had a workout with a team. Sometimes what happens is, is a team falls in love with a guy and they think that they'd, they're just trying to not talk about him a lot. And they're hoping that they can bring him in and, and, and the player is okay with being brought in as a, as a free agent, because then you can actually kind of dictate where you go and, uh, and get to your second contract quicker. So I, you know, that could be the case, but I, I still would be mildly surprised if gray doesn't hear his name called sometime in the, in the second half, the second round, uh, which would be a good spot for him. And I imagine you would see him playing NBA minutes within two seasons. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of people saying that it's you know it's better not to get drafted than to go in the second round. But if you're if you're a player, you've been waiting to hear your name called in the NBA draft your whole life. I'm sure hearing it called in the second round is you know it's a pretty pretty thrilling thing. Um, the the last question I have before we wrap up the the NBA conversation. So we've got uh, Patrick Williams, who came in one and done, was the fourth pick. We've got. Uh, uh, Scotty, you know, is going to be probably top seven pick this year, one and done. 
is, is, is that kind of the new thing at Florida state? I mean, is, is, do we, do, do we, is that going to happen again this year? Is, is John Butler going to turn into the next Evan Mobley or, 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 or maybe Cleveland turns into Chris Duarte? Like what, what, what's going on, what's going on there? And, and are we going to, should that be something that the fans are, are kind of bracing for this year? I, I don't know about John Butler turning into the next Mobley, although, uh, you know, back to our conversation of uh, if, if that happens, I think the, the ceiling is, uh, is pretty high, maybe higher than everybody except uh, Gonzaga. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So just going, Scotty Barnes is going to be the third lotto pick for Florida state in the last three years uh, with Vassell who, who only played two years at Florida. wasn't even a, a top 200 recruit only played two years and was a lotto pick. And, and then you don't have to go back much further than him to get, uh, you know, Jonathan Isaac as a lotto pick as a one and done. And, and we know Malik Beasley uh, also was not a lotto pick, but one and done. I, I do think that Florida state fans should expect another one and done player this year. I would imagine that Cleveland is going to be a first round pick and maybe he's like the Beasley kind that, you know, gets picked 18th instead of fifth. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a lot, a lot of money uh, and, and a, and a great, sometimes you end up in a better situation with a team picking down there. Uh, but, you know, he could also have the kind of year that Pat Williams had. People thought Pat Williams was going to be 29, 30 going into the draft. And you get to the combine, and again, you just see the size of these guys and, and how laterally quick they are uh, and, and, and athletic they are. And, and a lot of Florida State guys just rocket up the draft board. So, you know, wouldn't be shocking if Matt, if Matt Cleveland turns into another lotto pick, one-and-done guy, third year in a row. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be completely shocking if Jalen Worley, um, you know, if, if Florida state were to reach that ceiling, it's probably going to be because a guy like Jalen Worley really takes it to the next level. Uh, so I suppose there's a world in which he is drafted high as well, but I would, I personally think that he is better coming out after his sophomore or junior year. Um, and, and, you know, so, and, and that would also be great for Florida state, although he should not, um, you know, he should always take his own professional interest first, but, then you look at the recruits and maybe that's where the conversation could head next. Yeah. I absolutely think that if, if Matt Cleveland goes one and done this year, my assumption would be that coming in with the 2022 guys, there would be another, you know, legit possibility of, of a one and done the next year. So what, if that happened, you'd be four years in a row. And at that point, I, I think that's just kind of the established pattern. Yeah, and I, I I don't think that fans can really you know compl- complain about that too much based on the results that we've had. So no, um, I think that, yeah, I think I think I will kick it back to over to you to to ask ask some questions. I I, I uh, I'm a little uncomfortable on this end of the mic, you know. So yeah, let's let's get into that 2022 recruit. Let's say that Matt Cleveland uh, displays all of the athleticism of Pat Williams and and all of the shooting prowess of Devin Vassell. Uh, that would be a heck of a season. And let's say he comes out and is a top eight pick next year. We are obviously going to be in the need for reloading with some more talent. Uh, we'll also, you know, I think there's a decent chance we could lose Anthony polite, even though he would have another year left at that point, he's graduated. He's 23, 24 years old. Uh, we would, you know, we already, we actually have three scholarships open on the team right now. So that would be five and I'm sure there's always going to be a transfer here and there. So, it looks like we would have five, six scholarships available at a minimum for next year. 
what are what are we looking at? I, I mean, I hear some pretty talented names, as you mentioned. There's a lot of wings and people who want to come here. Uh, let's talk about them. Yeah, I think the season that we're in right now for the for recruiting is every top fifty wing in the country is 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 somewhat interested in Florida State, and we've we've got a few of them to uh, you know you know v- visit campus, which you can do now these days, which is kind of nice. Um, we're also going to see these guys kind of blow up and, you know, with the, with the blue bloods. And, and so trying to, uh, you know, lure one of our top top targets away from Kentucky or Gonzaga or North Carolina is, is, you know, it's going to be tough. It's always tough, but we got, we, we got a lot of guys, you know, that are, that are looking at Florida state. I think, you know, the, the one that's been on everybody's mind the longest is Derek Whitehead down from Montverde. Who's, who's the, you know, fifth or sixth rated recruit in the country and, and visited back in June. Um, you know, but there's been some other big visits as well. You know, a couple of guys from South Carolina, you know, we added Coach Smith to the staff a couple of years ago and and that is paying off. Um, we've got Julian Phillips and 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 Jason Gortman from South Carolina have, have both visited. Um, and then we also had Dylan Mitchell, who's a, who's a Florida kid. You know, another you know top thirty, you know big guard U type player. Um, so there's there's plenty of interest, but you know the, the the trick is landing one of these guys early in the process. Um, you know, which which is not easy to do. Yeah, and and ironically enough, the guy that we landed early in the process last year, Bryce McGowan's, who very well could be a one and done himself out of Nebraska, didn't stick, which which is a bit rare in college basketball weird circumstance with his brother transferring to the school he ended up at. But um, it, it, even though he didn't stick, it was still really important. I think last year to get him committed and that kind of opened the, you know, then you saw Cleveland and Worley follow suit. And even though McGowan's didn't, didn't stay uh, you know, it still, I think helped out. So who, who are some of these names? I know Whitehead has been building relationships with the Florida state staff for a long time, multiple years here. Uh, and, and he's somebody that, you know, Hey, four months ago, maybe was considered a lean to Florida state. And, and I know he's ranked fifth or sixth, but honestly, man, looking at his film, I think he could be, you know, the second or third best player in, in, in high school basketball. Uh, but it seems like a lot of crystal balls for Duke lately is, I mean, is that just a case of, of, you know, kind of like Grayson Allen, like the one school that could have swayed that kid comes in late in the process and, and just takes him. Yeah, I think ironically with Coach K leaving, you know, it kind of creates a little bit of momentum for Duke. You know, they've they it's you get to come in and be, you know, the first class that like carries on the Duke tradition without without Coach K. And and uh, you know, the the coaching staff is is you know probably gonna stay pretty intact. Um, you know, they're still Duke, they're still gonna bring in a, a ton of guys and and a, a guy like you know, Whitehead can go anywhere he wants in the country and he's going to be one and done and, and, you know, run, you know, playing in, in, in kind of an up and down system like Duke has, you know, Florida state does as well, but whatever, um, you know, Whitehead is going to get plenty of chances to, you know, kind of show his, his, his prowess. Um, yeah. It's interesting know. though, that it's, it's not like Duke is crazy. I mean, Jalen Johnson went to, you know, back on the previous subject, he, he went to Duke as, as, widely considered third fourth best prospect in the country last year big wing whatever he didn't make it through the season and he he has slid possibly all the way out of the lottery 
you know, and, and it's not like that's a, you know, a one-time thing. I, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the guy, Patrick Williams was actually the second rated player in North Carolina the year he came out uh, with, with the better guy going to Duke. Um, and, and he is still at Duke now. Patrick Williams is going to be in his second year in the NBA next year. Uh, and, and, you know, so they, they have not been, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to say they haven't been developing talent, but it, it's been since that Zion class that, that people have really maybe elevated their draft profile at Duke. Yeah. You know, Zion, Zion was the last guy that, that, that was drafted prior to a Florida state player. And, you know, you just can't have that kind of thing happen at happening at Duke. Um, I personally will be a little surprised if, if, you know, that doesn't get turned around. Um, I think an, another thing that that's maybe hurting Duke a little bit is you've got the emergence of some other teams, you know, LSU, Illinois, maybe even our, like Arkansas and UConn that are, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, you know, kind of starting Ohio state, you know, just landing a ton of guys that are, that are competing, you know, for those highest level teams. And so I think the talent is getting a little more widely distributed these days, um, which is, which has hurt Duke a little bit. And then they've just, they've totally committed to some guys who it was just, it was bad scouting on, on their part. Yeah. Yeah. The, the their last class, last year's class just was not, not very good. I'm not even sure other than Jalen Johnson, they have a, a first rounder out of that class, but uh, at any rate, I do think Whitehead, whether he goes to Duke or Florida, I mean, he is the kind of, I've seen him. He is the physical multi-level scorer. That kid is, is going to be successful and will be a, a lotto pick. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about point guard and trying to land a, a big time point guard. I, I have to say that, that, Jay Gort, uh, which is what Jay Zion Gortman kind of goes by, uh, Gort, Jay Gort, and uh, is out of South Carolina. Steve Smith has a great relationship there. I, Florida State isn't a good place, uh, but I mean, that kid to me looks like a 6 1 version of Lamarcus Joyner. And he's not, you know, he actually isn't like kind of big guard you in the sense that he's probably, you know, six, six feet, maybe, if we're being honest, and, and 165 pounds, but his arms are so long like LaMarcus Joyner's and, and he is just so quick and athletic. And, and beyond that, he, he is, he is just tough. He gets after it on, on both sides of the court. And, and I honestly think he, you know, Sky Clark was someone I was really high on. He ended up at Kentucky. Um, I, I like his game a lot. I, I think Jay court, Jay Gort could be, the best guard, I don't know about true point guard, but the best guard prospect in the country for college basketball uh, this coming year, coming out of recruiting class. It, have you seen him play, Michael? And, uh, you know, otherwise, what do you think of our chances there? Yeah, I've, I've seen his highlights, and he's he's certainly a, a, a hell of a player. And it's nice to see Florida State recruiting. I mean, you, you list him at 165. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably I'd, I'd take the under on that. He's you know he's he's not a big kid, and it's 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 uh, you know great to see Florida State kind of recruiting the guys that don't fit just a single mold. Um, you know the 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 bad part of it is that everybody in the country wants him. I mean, he's he's getting recruited by everybody. Um, so he's, he's getting a ton of attention. He's going to, he's going to have to cut that list um, down. He, he, he loved Florida state. You know, he, he uh, uh, commented that it, it, it 
Tallahassee felt a lot like um, Columbia, where he's from, you know, so it just kind of felt like home, which is always a good sign. You know, you, 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 you want these kids to feel comfortable when, when they, when they leave. So, you know, if we could land someone like him, it would not only, you know, uh, send waves through the recruiting world just because, you know, we're landing another top 10 guy, but it's also just a different style of guy. You know, it's, you kind of expect it to be the, you know, the Matthew Cleveland, you know, six, six, 190 big wing guy that we're landing but you know this would be a a little bit of a game changer yeah it really would it feels like the kind of guy who would typically um you know maybe end up at at unc or um maybe even a texas uh or or a usc or something i mean and 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 he's a guy that really has shot up the recruiting rankings Uh, i don't even know if he was in the top 40 uh 12 or 15 months ago but he, he he just I mean, he's, he is a relentless competitor and his athleticism jumps off the screen. Uh, so he, he's a guy to get really excited about if Florida state is able to reel him in and, you know, we're in as good a position as anybody is there. But to your point, when you start being in the conversation for best guard in high school basketball, uh, you, you have a lot of big time programs who, who are showering attention your way. Uh, you mentioned a couple other names earlier, uh, Dylan Mitchell, I know Julian Phillips, the guy who, who actually, I think, plays with Jay Gort uh, either on the AAU circuit or has played with him. I know sometimes they change teams here and there. Um, I, I think both of those would be tremendous ads. There's, there's another name I'll bring out there, too. Is it Derek Lively? or, or uh, He's the guy that uh, Worley's went to the same high school as Worley. I know a lot of folks uh, peg him for Kentucky, but I think he's someone that has at least been on FSU's radar, especially since we signed his teammate last year yeah I think I think we're gonna see a lot of that you know I, I mentioned that in the beginning um you know guys like guys like Derek Lively he's a um uh, we're, you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see interest from a lot of those people but you know are we really gonna be able to sway him from like Duke Kentucky North Carolina which I yeah. think are probably his top three right now um you know but again he's you know <laughs> he's a guy seven one He's, he, he's, uh, you know, 220, he would be that elite center that we just haven't really landed, you know, in, in, in the past. And again, a guy who would just be a complete game changer in terms of our recruiting. It's tough though. You know, you don't want to not go out. You never make a shot you don't take. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you put eggs in basket like that. You, you go after the Efton reads, you go after the Musa Cisse's two years ago. And, and, you know, you know, it would be really nice right now to have a Josh Minot or, or Josh Gray from up in uh, Wisconsin, like some, you know, maybe a James white from the Atlanta area on the roster. Like it would be not, you know, and you have to make these trade-offs we're clearly getting, we're clearly landing some of these five stars. So I I would have thought we actually would have never landed Jalen Worley and we did. So I'm not suggesting I don't want us going after these guys, but it's tough sometimes when to your point, are we really going to get lively away from Kentucky or Duke? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Coach Young, see why he he kind of feels like Florida State can land anybody. Some and and it and it's to our detriment sometimes, but it also you know certainly works out in in, in a few cases. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting to follow, and and maybe worth maybe it won't be three months since we have until we have our next pod because my hope is that one of these guys in the next uh, we'll call it you know three to four weeks pops for Florida State and we can be back on here evaluating what that means for the class and the rosters moving forward. But uh, for now, before we wrap things up, I, you know, it is the off season and 
what some folks may not know about Michael and I is that uh, we both we both follow golf enthusiastically. I I, I enjoy it for sure, and, and Michael really really follows it, uh, particularly you know in terms of his knowledge of the Florida State alum who are playing professional golf, not just at the PGA level but at other levels as well. And so, given that this is sort of the you know, we've, we've just had the, the open championship over in England. And now the FedEx cup is going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks. And, and, and really Florida state is, continues to be just well represented on both the professional, the PGA tour and other tours. Um, you know, something that we could mix in here a little bit more is some golf talk. So Michael, everybody, let's start with the two people who everybody knows Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger. Both of them have seen, you know, they've contended in they at least contended in the sense of top tens and majors this year. They've both been playing pretty good golf uh, for, for quite a few months and they're, they're locks for sure to make the FedEx cup. Uh, anything, I mean, could either one of those guys win the FedEx cup? Um, it, I mean, the, the way that the FedEx cup is set up, you know, you, you, anybody can win it, you know, especially if you're, if you're starting the, the, uh, uh, the playoff run and in, in like the top 50 or so it's a three tournament three tournament deal um kepka is you know he's got the reputation for showing up in majors and and really not showing up for that much more and and uh burger is probably playing about as well as as anybody in the country since um you know in, 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 the, in the last six months or so so you know it, it could certainly it could certainly happen but the 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 real you know, value of the FedEx cup is that it's like golf's way of distributing money to the top players, you know, cause they, they don't get appearance fees for showing up, you know, at tournaments, the same way that like tennis players do. So you, you got to have a way to funnel money to the top players. And, and that's pretty much what the playoffs are for. And so Kepka and Berger, even if they don't win the 10 million for the whole thing, they are certainly going to be walking away with, with plenty of money out of this thing. Good, good for them. Good for them. Uh, and yeah, Kep, uh, Berger rather has been playing some good golf and Kepka really did, you know, and sometimes I wonder, is he just not showing up for the other majors? You know, does he not, is it a care thing, but you are not for the other majors for the other tournaments. You are spot on about the majors. I, I know we were talking uh, Josh, for those of you who know Josh pick from a lot of articles, he does recruiting articles with Tomahawk nation. He also follows golf extremely closely. And we were talking on Slack the other day and, you know, Brooks Kepka has got uh, 10 top tens in the last 13 majors he's participated in. So, I mean, it's almost uh, like a sure thing. If you want to go down to your, you know, your, your local casino or bookie and bet him to finish top 10 in a major. And he has won. He won another tournament this year. Uh, I can't, it was, I guess, way back in the beginning of the year, but you're right. Is that just a care thing? He just, he kind of, he shows up when the lights are bright and then kind of works on his game the rest of the year. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's part of it. I think that's also a little bit more of the the image that he's cultivated. Nobody plays golf as well as he does without practicing a lot. Um, you know, the, he, he finished second at the PGA fourth at the U S open sixth at the open. And, you know, he missed the cut at the masters, but he could barely walk. And so he's, you know, he's, he's been dealing with some injury issues. And I, th- I think if, if he gets healthy, then, you know, you, you should probably be betting him to take home, you know, at least one major next year. All right. So uh, if Scotty doesn't go top seven, you can blame me. And if, if you put your bets on Brooks Kepka winning a, a major next year and he doesn't, you can blame Michael. Uh, let's, let's get to maybe some of the other golfers though, because you know, while those two are clearly going to be making a lot of money coming up in this FedEx cup, we've got a few golfers FSU alum who are really fighting to, 
to make the FedEx Cup. And one of them, uh, Hank Lebiota, I mean, he just has had a stretch. He had a, a one-month stretch there maybe where he, he made more money in a month than he had made in the rest of his PGA career combined or, or professional golf career combined. Yeah, he, he turned it on at, at, at the right moment. He was... He was struggling to get inside the top 125, which is which is where you got to be to to uh, um, get your you know keep your card for next year. And I think he was 139th, and then he finished fifth, fourth, eighth, you know, in three consecutive weeks. And he was playing he's playing well again this week, but but he had to withdraw unfortunately. Um, but he is he's he's locked up his card for next year. And the, and the thing, if you don't follow golf, the thing that that does is it it allows you to um, uh, sort of pick the the your schedule, lay it out for the whole year, because players all have a priority ranking, and that's how you get into tournaments. Is how you know how high your priority is. So just being in the one top one twenty five means that he gets to you know kind of set his schedule for next year, which is a huge deal, you know. And then on the other side of that bubble is Chase Seifert, who uh, you know he's been a pro for a long time. He finally made it out on the PGA Tour, and now he is right on the cut line of whether or not. He's going to be able to keep his card. I think he's going to be about one thirtieth after after this week's tournament, and you got to be in the top one twenty five. Um, and so he's going to have to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour, which is the you know the biggest of the minor leagues, and 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 uh, he'll have a he'll have a uh, it's a three or four tournament um, uh, kind of playoff to to get into the top twenty five to get back onto the PGA Tour. You know, otherwise he'll be kind of uh, you know just playing wherever he can next year. And when you say wherever you can, that means just wherever you can get, you can what pay your own way in or get a sponsor's exemption or, or just, you know, petition to get in and, and hope that you make the cut. Yeah. It's crazy complicated the way the priority rankings work, but he would probably get into maybe 10, um, uh, PGA tour events, and then he would have full status on the corn Ferry tour. So he, so, you know, he, he would be kind of mixing it up between the, you know, like the AAA of the minor leagues and, you know, getting into the, the, the lowest PGA tour events. So, so like those NBA players, you know, like a Trent Forrest that was on a two-way contract where he's playing both in the G league and the NBA, but the difference here being that you can only make in order to, it's easier to keep your card when you're able to play more PGA tour events. And if you can only play 10, right. So then what those 10 become very important. Is that and and the, and the pressure really racks up because you it doesn't matter if you play one tournament or forty you still got to finish in the top one twenty five to be able to to uh, you know lock up your status for for next year so he's and got know, a ton, he's a ton of pressure on him right now so you know I you mentioned he was about one thirty is this the last week that he could finish in that one twenty five or is there another week or two for him to you know bust out with a with a top twenty finish yeah he's got two more weeks so there there's there's uh, two events that he's going to be able to play in um, and one event that he's not going to be able to play in. So, so he'll have two more tournaments um, to be able to, to try to make that cut. All right. So if anyone out there is interested in watching some of the next two, uh, two golf tournaments over the next few weekends and root for an FSU alum who, who needs to perform well to, to just get into that inside that 125, Chase Seifert could use your support. Uh, and then maybe a couple other guys, we've got uh, Vincent Norman and John Pack. Vincent Norman uh, over in the European Tour, uh, and, and then John Pack, who just graduated Florida State and, of course, had a very uh, illustrious college career, but it, it's been a bit of a, a rocky start where Vincent's actually performing really well over on the European Tour. 
John, John's having a little bit of a struggle transitioning into his first, uh, first few professional events. Yeah. Norman and Pack were sort of the, the, the rocks of this year's Florida state golf team got them to, to sort of unprecedented heights. Um, you know, they weren't able to win at all, but they had, they had a hell of a season. So now they've both gone pro in their own ways and one is succeeding and one one's not pack has played like six events on the PGA tour, um, and not made a single cut. Um, he is, he's getting into these, these events by, uh, sponsors exemption so the you know the top college players the, 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 they, they save four spots in every tournament and and generally those those sponsors exemptions kind of go to the top college players this, this time of year um you know interesting enough he had uh, full status on the corn ferry tour and could, could have tried to play his way that way um, and he chose not to he chose to play through sponsors exemptions on the pga tour it's not looking like a very good decision at this point um, but he also will, so he'll have basically one event, you know, left on the PGA tour and probably one on the corn Ferry tour, which, which is not enough to, to get it done unless he, you know, somehow gets wins, one. And wins one. Yeah. And then Vincent Norman, he's, he was a Swedish golfer who transferred to Florida state and he was he somehow ended up at division two, even though he was like this total stud amateur from, from Sweden, um, finish, finishes up his career at Florida state, goes over to the European tour and he has two top 10 finishes in three weeks. Um, and you know, he's, so he's making a boatload of money. He's, he's, uh, ha- you know, having great success and, you know, good for him. And, and who knows, you know, you, you, you never know what these guys from, from European countries, if, if the European tour is where he wants to be, or if he wants to try to, you know, use that as a springboard to get on the PGA tour where you make a lot more money. That's right. And we've seen examples of both recently. Uh, there's some great golf played over in Europe. Guys like Tommy Fleetwood and stuff have, have had some real success over on the European tour. And, and uh, Vincent Norman can certainly carve out a great career there. Uh, we've also seen our own Brooks Kepka that kind of went over there and honed his game and, and grinded and worked hard over in Europe in a, in a variety of different courses and elements and weather. Uh, and, you know, he, he used that as a springboard to then come over to the PGA tour and, and, you know, a lot of other guys do that as well. So really interesting to follow Norman's uh, career path there. And uh, it, it's, it's good to see guys like uh, Hank, again, you mentioned he had to withdraw, hope everything is okay there. We're sending, sending good thoughts out to Hank for that one, but you know, it's, it's great to be able to follow the careers of some of the guys, not right at the top, like Brooks and Daniel Berger and, and some of the Normans and, and, Seaforts and Lebiotas and and hopefully John too can get uh, get it rolling a bit and and kind of get some of that mojo back. Yeah, and then we got a mix of another like seven or eight guys who are in the you know further down in the minors and you know hopefully some of those guys can kind of kind of work their way up and and you know get get onto these tours where you can make some life changing money. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, buddy, it's been it's been good talking to you. Good catching up. Uh, we're right here, almost pushing an hour, not quite. And so I think that this is a great place to end it, but yeah, as we'll, we'll be back, it won't be a couple months for sure. We'll be back hopefully to talk some recruiting soon. And if nothing else, uh, maybe to give them, give some more off season updates as we get closer to the basketball season, uh, for Michael, I'm Matt signing off. <laughs>